Right. Uh, we gather today as a church because we believe that Jesus died on a cross, was buried, and was raised to life, taking the punishment from God for what we have done and having victory over death. This is what we believe. We saw last week the difficulties that we can have in believing this to be true. And you remember that pendulum analogy when the big brick was coming back to him, the difficulty a teacher had in believing. Not in terms of stating that he knew physics to be true, but when life is hard, when troubles come, or even when life is good, functionally believing that Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, In John 7, Jesus is with a crowd who are struggling to believe. This crowd does not have the advantage of knowing what has happened to Jesus on the cross, like you and I, as the events are before them. But they do have a physical Jesus stood right in front of them, and yet they are struggling to believe who he is. Jesus points them to why they can believe in him. Because he is God and he speaks truth. And he points out how they should practically live out that belief. He does this by answering four questions. You can follow on to see four questions. He answers them in quite peculiar ways. And once we've understood Jesus' answer to their questions, we should be able to trust in Jesus' words because they are from God, act on our belief, Coming to know Jesus personally. But these things are urgent, and so don't delay them. So let's look down, verse 14 and 15, where Jesus asked the first question. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Where? Do Jesus' words come from? Whose authority does Jesus have to speak? Look down verse 16. Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Who sent Jesus? Verse 17. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Jesus explicitly tells them the toss-up is between his teacher being his own teaching or his teaching being from God. Jesus' claim here is that God has sent him. Jesus is saying, God gives me the authority to say what I am saying. Now imagine some guy, maybe Bojo or someone else, standing up in front of you and saying, I am here from God and he has sent me to speak to you, Nabil. You would be right to question his sanity or his motivations. Is this guy just trying to gain attention? Maybe Jesus here was just trying to gain attention. Let's see, verse 18. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Jesus says he isn't speaking so he can gain attention for himself. Not for his own glory, but for the glory of God. His words are from God, and the glory goes back to God. Jesus is trying to make it clear here 
that because he is not speaking to gain fame to himself, this proves to the crowd that what he is saying is true. That's the claim here from Jesus. I am here coming from God, not to big up myself, but to big up God. And therefore, you know what I am speaking to you is truth. So here we have the crowd. Great teaching, Jesus. Love it. How do you know all this? And Jesus says this. I am from God. I am God. And what I am saying is the truth. Massive statement. But do you believe Jesus when he says this? My answer is yes, I do believe Jesus when he says this. But functionally, day by day, I struggle to believe Jesus at his words. And we saw last week we do struggle to believe Jesus at his words in those hard moments. Moments like when I'm sitting in a funeral service wondering where my dead relative is now. It is hard to believe Jesus' words there on the future realities of heaven and hell. It is hard. Or when sat next to a friend who has been struggling with same-sex attraction and we look at Jesus' words regarding sexual sin, I struggle with him to believe that Jesus' words on the matter is true. It is hard. (coughs) But we must We must believe Jesus at his word, as he is God and he speaks truth. Not believing Jesus just doesn't make sense. And we need to keep reminding ourselves and each other that Jesus is God. And the words he speaks aren't optional, mediocre ideas. They are life-changing truth. We see the crowd here, back in the Bible finding it hard to believe Jesus at his word and not believe that he is God. Verse 19. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? Jesus says to them, they are not keeping the law. They are in fact trying to kill him, which is against the law. This truth is hard for the crowd to believe. It enrages them. And they don't believe Jesus' words. Look at their response. Verse 20. You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Demon-possessed? Jesus? It is clear that the crowd certainly haven't understood that Jesus is from God. That Jesus speaks truth. But we have seen that we should trust in Jesus' words because they are from God. Even when he says things, we struggle to believe. Or even when times are hard, we struggle to believe him. The crowd are still struggling uh, to believe Jesus at his word. Uh, if you're still with me, we're going to move on to point question two now. In verse 20, there's question two, which Jesus answers, trying to encourage the crowd to act on their belief, like Jesus does. Verse 20. Who is trying to kill you. Jesus' answers, verse 21. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Pardon? It's a very peculiar answer, Jesus. What miracle is he talking about? Now, the miracle Jesus is talking about is one that happened back in John chapter 5. Uh, Jesus, on the Sabbath, healed a man who had been sick for 30 
58 years. I'm not even 38. I can't imagine being sick for that long. And after doing it, God called... Uh, after doing it, Jesus said, God is his father and made himself equal with God. Both those things are big, big no-nos for any Jew to do. Jesus can't go around doing that. So the short answer to who is trying to kill Jesus is the Jews. And if you're not sure, you can look at John chapter 5, verse 18 later and see it there. Now God, he never said healing on the Sabbath was wrong. In fact, healing sounds like a pretty good idea to do, doesn't it? However, the Jews by this time had added on top all sorts of rules and laws, uh, meaning you would struggle to even pick up your bedding on a Sabbath without breaking one of those rules. And this is why Jesus ends up referencing this next little segment in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 7 about circumcision. <coughs> Yet, because Moses gave circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Quick history. God in the book of Genesis gave to Abraham, referenced here as the patriarchs, the covenant of circumcision. The covenant is, in short, was that God would be their God forever. He would give them a land forever. And as part of that covenant, Abraham and his descendants had to circumcise the boys, eight days after they were born. Uh, I was born on Saturday the 23rd of November, which was a Saturday, but have a quick think. Anyone here born on a Friday? Anyone born on a Friday? Oh, Johnny was born on a Friday. Oh, my wife was born on a Friday as well. Um, I won't tell you when. Uh, now, for the Jews, if you were male, and if you were born on a Friday... What day, children, see if you can work this out for me, what day of the week is eight days after a Friday? What day of the week is eight days after a Friday? Go on, Caden. Saturday. It's Saturday! Now, this is the Jewish Sabbath. So remember, the Jews had all sorts of rules saying you couldn't do any work, you couldn't do uh, lots of different things on the Sabbath, and this is problematic. So if your son is born on a Friday, and then eight days later it's a Saturday, what do you do? Do you circumcise on the eighth day if the eighth day is the Sabbath? Do you follow God? Or do you follow the religious leaders' rules? That's the question. Well, the Jews here, they're not foolish. They know the answer to that. They think, of course you circumcise the child. Because God told you to do that, even if it is on the Sabbath. The loophole is that God's words trumps anyone else's. The Jews did believe both in their additional rules and in God's rules, but when it came to two coming into conflict, they knew that they should follow God and break the additional rules seen in the scenario of circumcision. So here is Jesus, breaking their additional rules regarding the Sabbath. He is healing on the Sabbath. Ooh. Remember that there is no rule from God, that you can't heal people on the Sabbath. But the Jews here are so kind of tied up in the rules made up by the religious leaders that they can't see that it is right to heal on the Sabbath. It is the thing that God would do to help make a man's whole body well 
And he did. The Jews here, Jesse Jew, healing a man on the Sabbath. And they go, no, 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 no. You can't do that, Jesus. But we know the right judgment of what Jesus did is that he can and he should heal the man on the Sabbath. That is why Jesus says in verse 24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Don't judge Jesus as wrong, like the Jews and the crowd did. Know Jesus is God and he is doing the right thing. The mistake for the Jews is, as I said, they are too tied up in some additional rule uh, to not do what God would want them to do. And the same warning is there for us today. Don't be too tied up in rules to not do what God would want you to do. Uh, If Jesus is God, and Jesus is speaking truth, then that means we should do what he says practically. Even when this comes into conflict with what others or even some religious leaders of today might say. Um, I was thinking that the cost of living is increasing, and with it my worry regarding money, and society encouraging me strongly, you could maybe say it's a rule, to earn as much as I can, and to save as much as I can, to give myself and my wife security, to make me safe. But Jesus' words are to depend not on my bank account for my security, but to depend on God. And on top of that, to give generously, because the money isn't really mine to keep hold of. Now, I don't think the answer from what the pastor says is for me to stop budgeting and to take my household into financial ruin. Becky probably wouldn't be too pleased with me. But let me ask you this, please. How much of your time and energy is spent worrying about money, accumulating money, investing and saving money? Uh, And how often, how often do you go to God praying regarding it? How often do we avoid generosity to people because we think this is our money only for our benefit? How often is our chief concern Do I have enough cash? Rather than confidence that God will provide. Now this is just one example to consider. Do we truly believe that Jesus has enough authority over our lives that we can follow him and act on our belief in him as Lord? Rather than do whatever society says is appropriate. We need to act on our belief in Jesus. So, so far... Uh, Jesus' answers have encouraged us to trust in Jesus' words because they are from God and act on belief. The crowd here in John 7 are right in front of Jesus, remember. They are listening to his answers. Uh, they aren't sure though, what to make of him. They are confused about him. So the next question only murmurs in the background. Verse 25 and 26. Come here. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? 
The crowds are really not sure who Jesus is. They reckon that as the authorities have not chosen to kill Jesus off just yet, then the authorities are also not too sure. And in fact, they themselves may think he is the Messiah. But here is a sticking point for them. They think, as they know where Jesus is from, that he can't really be the Messiah. Verse 27. But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. They think they've got Jesus pinned. Simple carpenter from Nazareth. They are confident they know where he is from. And they kind of do, but they don't. They miss a key detail. Remember what Jesus said back in verse 16. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Jesus was sent from God. And at the miracle in chapter 5 that he references here, he also stated that he is from God. So where he is from is not merely an earthly town or village. Where he is from is the throne of heaven, creator and ruler of the world. Look down, verse 28 and 29. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. You do not know him. Wow. That's got to be a hard-hitting sentence for the Jews, particularly the Jews, because... You're saying, you do not know God. You do not know him. And is it any wonder that in verse 30 they try to seize him? But think about the crowd's issues here. They are not sure about Jesus. They think maybe he is the Messiah, but they don't know for certain. They think maybe the authorities have decided he is, but they don't know for certain. They don't know Jesus, and therefore they don't actually know God. They are only trying to guess who Jesus is based on other people's reactions. They are trying to grasp what is truth based on what others think. Trying to form a belief based on what others believe. But that's not how knowing Jesus works. Consider who brought you to church. Particularly if you're a guest, but also if you're a child. It may be your mum or dad, and if older, maybe consider who first brought you to church. Coming to church, hearing about Jesus, seeing someone you trust or admire who believes in Jesus and reckon it's probably true because they believe, is not the same as truly knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is not based on your husband, your wife, your mum, your dad, your kid, your friend, your colleague. It is based on knowing Jesus for yourself. I'm really glad that um, many people in the church family are reading through Luke's Gospel at the moment. Because by reading the Bible, in particular by reading a Gospel, which are stories about Jesus' life, you can get to know Jesus for yourself, personally. Who here has read this book? Who here knows... The main character in the book. Who's the main character in the book? Go on, Danny. The Gruffalo! Can anyone tell me anything about the Gruffalo? A Gruffalo? What's a Gruffalo? What can you tell me? There's no such thing. Ah, there's the answer. What does a Gruffalo look like? 
more claws. If you don't know much about the Gruffalo, you can find out about the Gruffalo by reading this book. You can. But, as Kyle pointed out, there's no such thing as a Gruffalo. So you can't come to know the Gruffalo. Okay? You can't come to know the Gruffalo because it doesn't actually exist. There's no such thing as a Gruffalo. He isn't alive. He's just a character in a book. Jesus, on the other hand, truly lived, and better than that, Jesus is alive today. So you can really get to know him personally. If you don't know Jesus, read a gospel and get to know him. If you do know Jesus, but you're feeling distant, read a gospel and get to know him. When I myself feel distant from Jesus, struggling with belief, I need to read the gospel. When I speak to a friend who has been struggling recently, I need to suggest that they read a gospel. And if they can't manage that, because sometimes it's hard, I try and read it with them. Our difficulty in believing who Jesus is, is solved by getting to know him personally, which is wonderfully, wonderfully simple, through a gospel. Uh, Christianity Explored is a course that we run here as a church that goes through the Gospel of Mark, and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to get to know the King of Heaven, Creator and Ruler of the world. Not a course like it. So if you don't know Jesus, or if you're finding it particularly hard to pick up the Bible and come to know him, come and speak to me. If you find me too scary, come speak to my wife. <laughs> if, you, if you want to speak, there's Johnny here, Neil is in crash, there's many, many people here who want to help you come to know Jesus personally by reading the gospel. Right, the final answer, well, nearly there guys, is a warning about delaying, about staying in a position of unbelief, about not hurrying up to come to know Jesus. Well, there's been a bit of confusion about who Jesus is, who sent him, what is he doing, where is he from? The crowd's fourth question asked is in verse 31. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? Hey, maybe they've got it. Maybe the crowd know who Jesus is. Uh, but they don't. Verse 32. They are only whispering it. They're not sure yet. They have strong suspicions, certainly, but they are not confident to stand in front of the religious leaders and say that Jesus is God. They speculate, they whisper, they need to hurry up and work it out. The chief priests and the Pharisees don't want them to have time to decide that Jesus is the Messiah. So back in verse 32, they send people to try and arrest him. The crowd. They're not quite sure who Jesus is. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they're trying to get rid of Jesus, particularly before people start believing in him. There is urgency here. Jesus also describes this urgency. Verse 33. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. Jesus is only there for a short time. Then he is going back to the one who sent him. 
We have seen the one who sent Jesus is God. So he'll be going to God. But the crowd are confused. They haven't understood. They haven't understood uh, about Jesus. Uh, they wonder, maybe he's going to the Greeks. Verse 36. What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. They clearly express their confusion here about who Jesus is and where he is going. The crowd is stuck. Some are close. So close to knowing who Jesus is. But time is running out. Because at some point he will be arrested, as in verse 32 they were trying to do. The crowd needs to work out who Jesus is, as he's only with them for a short time. Jesus' hour came, and he eventually had to go to the cross, die, and rise again. And he was no longer with them. And where he had gone, they could not come, as he said in verse 34. Jesus will come again. And at that time, we need to be those who know him. And this is where the urgency today is for us. We need to urgently know Jesus. If you are someone who doesn't think they know Jesus yet, please, as I said, come talk to me. And if I'm too scary, talk to my wife. Because we are both, and many members of the church are so keen to help you come to know Jesus. This urgency of knowing Jesus is also applicable for those of us who already believe in Jesus. Because we struggle in our belief. The urgency is the same. To trust Jesus' word because he is from God. Act on that belief and come to know Jesus more. And we must not delay this into the future. It is urgent and it is for our benefit now to believe and to act on that belief. So don't delay in reminding yourself and each other of Jesus' words as they are life-changing truth. Don't delay acting out your belief, even when the world around you is in opposition. And don't delay coming to know Jesus today and each day. And open up a gospel. I will pray now that we don't delay putting these things into action. Father God, I thank you uh, for Jesus. I thank you that he lived, died, and rose again, and is alive. And we can come to know him personally. Help us to trust in his words. Help us to act on our belief in him. Help us to do that, and not delay Amen.